Great to have all you here. Glad, glad you're here. Hope you're enjoying your uh, summer. Uh, Kelly and I are getting ready to enjoy a bit of our summer with some family. Hopefully you get opportunities to do that as well and uh, hang out with each other, both as a church family and your family, whatever, wherever that takes you. May your summer be blessed. Amen. Hey, I don't know if you've ever had one of these things pop up on your computer screen, but it is no fun at all. It is called a critical error message. Critical error message. I had one pop up uh, a couple months ago on my screen. I'm like, what is going on? It's like, I use a Mac, right? Macs are not supposed to have critical errors. That's only for you PC people, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It's why we buy Macs. So you don't have critical, but there was a hardware issue. And it, like, it has to be fixed and repaired because critical errors are not just like, okay, just reboot the machine and everything works properly. No, a critical error means that something is like broken. There's some part of the hardware or the software that has stopped working and it will literally shut your computer straight down, right? Or a program or something will not work right or effectively. Now, as frustrating as it is when that happens for our computers, when we get critical error messages, what about the critical errors that pop up in our lives? I mean, it's frustrating. It's frustrating when they happen on our computers, but when we get a critical error happening in our lives, it can literally be disastrous, especially when those critical er errors are popping up in our faith. Today we're gonna to be talking about three different critical errors that may pop up in our faith. And we find them all in one verse. It's in John chapter 11. And in this one verse, we're gonna see three different critical errors. And it's actually even in three words. I'm gonna see if you can catch what these words are, but then I'll, I'll help you see it. Here's the background of the story. Jesus had been doing all kinds of different miracles. He'd been traveling all over. And he gets word that his very dear friend, Lazarus, is sick. He's really sick. In fact, it looked like he was going to die. And so his sisters send word to Jesus on the road saying, hey, would you come? Your friend Lazarus is sick. Jesus knew at that time that Lazarus was going to die. But he didn't rush. He was not in a hurry. He finished doing what he was doing. In fact, I think he was, he was doing something. He, he had a plan already in place. And so as the story goes, Jesus shows up four days after his dear friend Lazarus has already died. Four days, been buried, put in a tomb. But, and some of you are probably very familiar with the story, Jesus, with a crowd of people around him, goes to that tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. I mean, this amazing, cool story. And what we read right after that is we read that many of the people who were there put their faith in Jesus. 
Now, is that like surprising to you? Probably not. It's like if you saw somebody like raise a dead guy who had been like, he'd been buried. In fact, in fact, his sister said, Jesus, you don't want to open up the grave because the body is already going to be smelling by now. I mean, this guy was in a state of decomposure. And Jesus called him back to composure, right? I mean, he called him from death to life. This beautiful, amazing story. And so here we are. All of these people in this crowd now are seeing this. And it says that many of them put their faith in Jesus. But, and, and so, when, I mean, wouldn't you be thinking like, wow, everybody's probably celebrating that. This is a great day, right? For faith. Faith to rise in people's hearts. But there was a group of religious leaders. Everybody say religious leaders. Religious leaders. Boo. <laughs> this was not their finest hour. This was not good. This was not good. Because these religious leaders did not like what was happening. They did not like the fact that people were turning to Jesus and putting their faith in him and so we get to this little portion of scripture. There's two verses and then there's one following. We're going to look at John 11, 47 and 48 and see what these religious leaders were doing. And then we'll skip over real quick to verse 53 and see the outcome. Check this out. It says, then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. So you see this, this like, this, the spiritual elite and these people had like power and influence over the people. These were like the governing folks, right, of, of, of the land, of Israel. And they call the high council together. You know, this is like the Supreme Court, Congress, Senate, I don't know, it's everybody. You know, kind of state of the union type of thing where everybody is gathered together. And check this out. They've called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him, ha ha, if we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. And so then, some verses down, it says, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. What are we gonna do? They asked with this miracle worker. They couldn't deny that Jesus was doing miracles. There was evidence of that everywhere he went. People with blind eyes were now seeing. People who were crippled and lame were, were now walking. I mean, you know, Israel was all abuzz with what was going on with, oh, Jesus is coming. And the crowds would come out. And now for a kicker, he raises a guy who'd been in the grave for four days. What are we going to do? with this miracle worker. They couldn't argue that Jesus was doing miracles. There was just too many of them. So they say, but we've got to do something. We have to do something to stop this guy because people are turning their allegiance away from us. Right? The religious elite, the power brokers of the day, they're turning away from us and putting their faith in him. So they conclude, if we allow him, 
to go on like this. If we allow him to do this, the Romans are going to come and shut us down. Party over. So I want you to notice these three words. If we allow. Would you say those words? If we allow. Now, I've, I've got little periods after each, each one of those. If we allow, because I believe that each one of those three words, they kind of introduce each one separately a different critical error that we're going to be taking a look at over these next minutes together. The first critical error is with the word if. If. Here's the critical error. It's the critical error, error of wrong conclusions. Wrong conclusions. I want you to notice that these religious leaders were making what's called a conditional statement. A conditional statement. And that's, you can spot conditional statements because it's like if then. It's an if then statement. If it rains, then something's going to get wet, right? I mean, it's like a conditional statement. You all understand how those work? A conditional statement? If then. And there's like two halves of conditional statements. The first half is called a trigger. Like it's what triggers the next thing happening. And then the second part is the result. There's a trigger and a result. In this statement that they were making, the, the, the religious leaders were saying, if we allow Jesus to keep going, doing what he's doing, result is going to be the Romans are going to come and shut us down. Got it? Now, sometimes... Those conditional statements can be absolutely accurate. If it rains, something's going to get wet. But there's a problem if those conditional statements lead to wrong conclusions. How about this one? Have you ever, have you ever maybe wondered this or even maybe made this type of conditional statement? If I just made a little bit more money, then, right? I would be happy. Trigger. If I just made a little bit more money, right? Pull the trigger. Result. Then I'm going to be happy. Hey, listen. Our own life experience. And, you know, you look at a lot of rich people and go, they ain't happy. They may be a lot of things. They may have some choices that I don't have. Maybe they can vacation places that I can't vacation, right? They got a lot of money. They can do stuff. Does that get them happiness? No, no, no. And then we look at God's word, and God's word confirms that, that money is not what brings joy or happiness to our lives or to our stories. This is a wrong conclusion, but there's lots of different wrong conclusions we can make. If, then. And so what happens if we make wrong conclusions? It's going to end very badly. If we think that just a little bit more money is going to buy our happiness, it's going to end badly because we start making our life decisions based on the conclusions that we come to. And we see this all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible. There's a very famous story. Most of you have probably heard the story before of Adam and Eve and the serpent. 
And the serpent had the ability to communicate with Eve. Don't know exactly what that was like, but they were chatting. And God had made, it says, this beautiful garden and had filled it with, I love this, it says with trees that were beautiful to look at and provided every kind of good food. So God was just resourcing them and caring for them. They were hanging out with God. But there was one tree in the middle of the garden and God said, you can eat from all of the all of these things. I've made all of them for your benefit, but there was one tree God said, do not eat from there. And he gave them a, a conditional statement. If you eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if, then you will die. If you eat from that tree, then you will die. Conditional statement. We should really pay attention to God's conditional statements. Because they're a promise. When God says something, it's not like you or me saying something or wondering about something. No, when God makes a conditional statement, it's actually, this is a promise. You can like take it to the bank. This is for real. So Eve is evidently at this tree and hanging out there. Probably shouldn't have been, but she's right there at the tree and she's having this dialogue with the serpent who's asking her about the fruit from this tree. And we know that Eve had been living according to the instruction God had given her. Because when the, when the serpent asks, like, hey, tell me about the fruit of this tree, she replies with what God had told her. If then, if you eat of this fruit, then you're going to die. But then the serpent does something really interesting. He gives her an alternate conclusion an alternate conclusion. And for whatever reason in that moment, this alternate conclusion was very tempting to Eve. Because he said, oh no, 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 no. If you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be open then, okay, ready? If you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be open, then you will be like God. And all of a sudden, she decides, you know what? I like that conclusion. I like that one better than the one God gave me. And so what did she do? She made a decision based on a faulty conclusion. She took of that fruit, she ate of that fruit, and the rest is history. Because at that point, that decision that she made opened the door for sin, for brokenness, for death to come, not only into her story, but to all of the generations all the way down to you and me. Wrong conclusions can be disastrous, especially when we exchange the conclusions that God has already given to us as a promise, authoritatively, just absolutely accurate, and, but then we exchange them for another one. You know, if, uh, if we go back to the story in John chapter 11 and these religious leaders, they were exchanging. They, they were making an exchange. They were literally plotting the death of another man. And not just any other man, but a man who claimed he was God, right? The son of God who was out there doing miracles. And you know what their own law told them? Thou shalt not murder. 
And yet, what were they doing? They were out there plotting the death of Jesus. Why? Because it was based on a wrong conclusion. Their conclusion was rooted in fear. You know, they they say that, man, the Romans are going to come. They're going to mess up our temple and our nation. See, their power and influence was based on the temple sacrifice system that we read about through the Old Testament. It was very well established, and, but it was, it was actually how they received their income and their influence. This whole temple system was central to Judaism, and so these Jewish religious leaders, they were all about protecting that, even if it meant killing Jesus. So it was based on fear, fear that they would lose their place and their power. And so they decide, we're going to do something to stop this. We're going to kill Jesus. But I want to tell you something. We do the same thing. Critical error. When based on a wrong conclusion, you know what we will do? We will kill off God from our lives. It completely shuts down our faith. It completely will stop everything from the work of God when we exchange what God has told us conclusively will happen in our stories if, and we exchange that for something less. So what conclusions has the enemy been trying to pass on to you? What has maybe been tempting to your soul? I have no idea. I have no idea, but I know that the enemy always works to exchange, like he did with Eve, exchange the conclusion that God has given us with one of our own making. That exchange, if then. Well, you know, if I sleep with that guy, then that, 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 that. It's not really gonna be a big deal. You know what, if I take that money that is not mine from my employer, then it will help me in these other ways. If I beat up my neighbor who is really an idiot and needs a good beating up, (laughs) then it's going to make me feel a lot better or whatever. Whenever we exchange the conclusions that the enemy would give us, I'm telling you, critical error. It will shut down our faith and cause it to stop working. So how do we fight against this? How do we guard our hearts from that critical error of wrong conclusions? We need to fill our our souls with right conclusions. We need to constantly be reminded of what has God said? What has he said conclusively? This is what you need to know. This is like the operating system of our faith. This is what you, we need to have it constantly refreshed through the word. Even through being in settings like this where we're being reminded what has God said. Before we leave this, this first critical, I need to give you a three, three things. Listen, conditional statements in scripture and listen for the trigger and the result, okay? Conditional statements. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 39. If you cling 
to your life. Trigger, if you cling to your life, then you will lose it. Result. And he goes on, but if, trigger, you give up your life for me, result, you will find it. It's this unimaginably challenging and beautiful exchange. If I lay down my life, surrender my life, and take up his, we actually find life there. Trigger and result. In fact, this is like, this is like a, a two-shooter right here. This is a bang-bang. If you cling to your life, you lose it. Trigger, if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. Next one, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If, trigger, if we claim to have no sin, result, we are only fooling ourselves, not living in the truth. Second, but if, trigger, we confess our sins to him. Oh, listen to the result. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. All sin, all wickedness, all brokenness flushed away, cleansed away is the result of us doing what? Just confessing our sin to him. Man, that's a, a conditional statement that you can take to the bank. This is the facts of our faith. One more, real quick. This is one from Jesus. John 8, 36, he says this so simply and powerfully. So if the son sets you free, if Jesus sets you free, trigger, guess what? Then you are truly free. Isn't that awesome? Friends, we need to be saturating our minds, our souls, with what God has said is true. Those conditional statements, and the word is full of them. Start looking for them as you're doing your 260 reading, right? Just get into it. Find, find those truths. Find those conditional statements. Say, oh, I need to highlight this because the enemy is going to want to come and exchange his reality, his conclusions for what God has already told me. Second critical error. It's around the word we. If we allow. If we allow. Second critical error is this. Building strongholds. Building strongholds. I want you to notice, this was not one religious leader trying to pick a fight with Jesus. That never went well, right? This was not, this was not one guy like with a bone to pick. Like, Jesus, we need to have a conversation about this. I don't, I don't get it. We, we find that. Go back to John chapter 3. You find one of those. But this was not that. This was a we moment. This was religious leaders kind of sticking their heads together trying to build something. They were trying to build a coalition against Jesus. We have to do something. They understood that there is power in numbers. So that, that's what they were doing. They were getting a gang together. It just had to be a gang of ugly old religious leaders. 
They were not wrong about the fact that there is power in numbers. We, you know, that, that's kind of part of our human operating system. When people, listen, when people are anxious about their safety, they want to build strongholds. They want to build like defensive structures that will help them. When people are anxious, when people are fearful, they want to build strongholds. Historically, we, we saw how this happened because in history we know that tribes would form, right? Instead of just people all by themselves, people would get together and what would they do? They would form a tribe so that they could defend themselves against nature and against other people, other maybe other tribes that seem to be popping up and growing. So they would form a tribe together, a stronghold. And then when those tribes, when they started to advance, what did they do? They actually said, hey, if we, if we build a wall around us, guess what? We're going to be able to protect our crops from nature and from other tribes who want to come and take it. That is how cities began to form. What is a city? A city is a stronghold, especially back in those ancient days when you could picture, right, when you could picture the walled cities. I've been to, gotten to visit Jerusalem. I mean, it's a walled city. I've been to Avalon, France. It's a walled city. Listen, there, so, so you get the picture of these strongholds. When people are anxious, we want to build strongholds. But strongholds, in the way of scripture, scripture talks about strongholds. Strongholds are not only physical things like a walled city. They are any defensive organization that we kind of pull people together to do stuff to defend against attack. That would be a stronghold. So it could be an organization. An organization could be a stronghold. Maybe a social action group could be a stronghold. A nation, even like our own, right? Or South Korea <laughs> could be a stronghold. People coming together to defend against attack, to protect what's ours. Could even be a company, right? A business coming together to be competitive against other companies. We want it to be strong and robust and so that we can get after it and, and you know, hedge against attacks. All kinds of different groups. I would even say a group of friends collectively coming together and say, this is the way that we're going to band together and organize in order to protect ourselves. There's a pastor from Australia. His name is Mark Sayers who's written pretty extensively about this. Pastor Mark Sayers says this. He says, strongholds are protective structures created by humans to insulate us from external threats and to reduce our anxiety. And he goes on to say, when we are anxious, we seek out strongholds. Sayers go on he goes on to warn that strongholds can become an alternate to God. Literally, they, they have the possibility of forming an alternate gospel. Because the good news is all found right there. Like in my group of friends. Like everything I need, I just go to my friends. Everything I need. My place of employment, right? 
I, I just go there. They, they, they take care of me. They pay my bills. They maybe even give me insurance. You know, there's protection there. Our country. You know, we think, you know, it's, it's quite fascinating, but we have this perception that things like, you know, DoorDash and, you know, Amazon Prime and, and all of those things, all I need is taken care of, right? I, I can get anything that I need. I can stream Netflix all day long, right? I can get everything. I, I, everything I need is taken until something like COVID happens and everything starts to get shaken a little bit. Our strongholds have been shaken, which is good, a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. But listen, if my country and the way our modern civilization is put together, why would I need God? Because all my needs are already met. It's an alternate gospel. It's an alternate form of good news. And so people will turn to the stronghold rather than allowing God to be their stronghold. That's what these guys were doing, these religious leaders, when they were forming this coalition of, this the Antichrist, right? Coalition. We are coming against Jesus Christ. We are staying as if we're even going to take him out. And they start to plot to kill him. Why were they doing this? Based on this wrong conclusion. Wrong conclusion that they bought into. That they needed to somehow stop God's work in that moment to protect their own interests. Stronghold. We have to protect our own. We have to protect our power. We have to protect our income base. Stronghold. We can build strongholds so easily in our, in our lives, but it's a critical error because when we turn to a stronghold that is not based on turning to God to be our savior, to be our help in time of need, I'm telling you, it shuts down our faith. We no longer are believing in God to care for us and to watch over us. And, and I'm, I'm intrigued because King David was a guy who over and over again, when his enemies chased him, you know what he did? He ran to strongholds. He knew, he knew like, man, I've got to get to a safe space. It might've been a cave. It, may, it might've been a fortified city where, where you know, he and his guys were like protected. He ran to strongholds, but guess what? He knew who his true stronghold was. So it wasn't that he, used, he didn't stop using these other you know, strongholds that were available to him, but he knew who his true stronghold was. I want to just read to you Psalm 21. It's just eight verses, but I want you to listen to someone who understood faith. This is attributed to King David. Psalm 121 said, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. 
He will watch over your life. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Listen, whenever our stronghold is based on something other than Jesus, something other than God, guess what? Man, critical error time because we are beginning to stop our faith. It's being shut down and it's being put into another man-made institution. We can slip into the very same thing that these ugly religious leaders were doing. And we think how bad it was. They were trying to kill Jesus. We do the same thing. We just start killing off the work of God in our life when we turn to strongholds that are not based in the strength of Jesus. Last critical error, number three. If we allow, it's his third word, allow. This is the critical error of mistaken authority. Mistaken authority. Now, listen, when we read scripture and we read through John chapter 11 and then the story keeps going, we're like, oh my, my. These religious leaders made a critically wrong conclusion. They were assessing that they had the power and authority over Jesus. They elevated themselves above God. Guys, critical error, mistaken authority. They thought they could rule over Jesus. Wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong conclusion. They placed themselves over God. And you and I can be in danger of doing the very same thing whenever we think that we can take lordship over an area of our lives and not live in submission and surrender to Jesus. We can make the same mistake whenever we're, we're kind of having the conversations that go like, you know what? Like, I want to be a Christian, but, but I don't think that I could surrender this part of my life to Jesus. I don't think I will allow him. I don't think I will allow him to have control over, fill in the blank, my friends, Hmm, that's up to me. My family. I don't think I can let him have control over my sexuality, over my money, and just keep going. Fill in whatever blank. Whenever we try to like wrestle the lordship of an area of our lives away from the authority of God, friends, critical error. If I allow God to be God. Hmm, what might happen? Well, maybe my life would come into order. Maybe the brokenness and the pain and the anxiety that I am feeling that causes me to want to run to strongholds. Maybe if I rightly place myself, maybe my life would actually come into order, but the enemy wants to give us an alternative conclusion. No, no, no. You can take lordship over that. Don't, don't, give, don't surrender that part of your identity to God. Don't surrender that part. No, no, don't give up that. It's too much. 
I love how Paul talks about this in Ephesians. Chapter one, verses 21 and 22, man, he, he gets right after it when he says this. He's talking about Jesus, which will become clear. In Ephesians 1, 21 and 22, Paul says this. Now he, Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or, and if I've forgotten to mention something, or anything else. Do, do you see, like, there is no one higher there was no one greater. There is no one who has more authority or power than Jesus. And then he goes on, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. I love this, for the benefit of you and me. For our good, for the benefit, it says, of the church. That means everyone who has submitted their lives to Christ. That's why I'm saying, it's like, no, when we get this right, everything starts to go right. Because Jesus is over all things, but he's in control, not to steal away, for our good, for our benefit. Friends, I, listen, there's a little mantra that I have, and you've heard it a million times, I want it to become your mantra too. It's okay to have some mantras. And this is a really good one. Jesus is here. Jesus is good. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is here. Jesus is good. Hey guys, but remember, Jesus is Lord. When we get that wrong, when we get... When we get that wrong, like, and we lose the lordship of Jesus, everything breaks apart. Now, I want to be lord over that area of my life. I don't want to surrender that part. And guess what, guys? We lose the benefit. The, the goodness, the peace, the joy, the best antidepressant, the best anti-anxiety medication is not like some coming from some pill. It's actually like being embraced in the goodness of Jesus, in his love of, of having my soul cleansed and refreshed by Jesus. Oh, the benefits, the benefits. Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget his benefits, friends. There was a missionary named Hudson Taylor who kind of put an exclamation point, I think, on what Paul read, wrote that we just read. This is the way that Hudson Taylor put it. Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. It's like he is over all things, including all areas of my life, or what is he? Nothing at all. Friends, we need to get this right because there's this critical error of us wanting to take lordship of an error because of mistaken authority because we think that, no, 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 I can do this. It'll be okay. My life will still go according to how I plan. But what we discover is that there's brokenness, there's pain, and literally, like in Jesus' story, there was death. 
today on your way in you should have received this symbol, two symbols. There's, I know they're a little hard to open, but <laughs> COVID. <clears throat> there's bread and then there's juice. The bread, a reminder of, listen, guys, it's a reminder of what these religious leaders got wrong. Think about it. It was at this point, it says that they began to plot to do the very thing that we are now holding in our hands as a symbol of the death of Jesus. This is the outcome. But friends, make no mistake, they may have plotted, but it was Jesus who went along. It was his plan all along to go to the cross because there was no other way for our sin to be forgiven. What we read in 1 John, that if, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all sin, all brokenness, there was only one way and that was to allow his body to be pierced for you and for me. For his blood to be shed for you and for me. So it may have been their plot, but it was by God's design. He laid down his life. He had the authority to lay down his life, and guess what? And to pick it up again. Just as he called forth Lazarus from the tomb, he called his own self up out of the tomb. Instead of four days, it was only three days. I'm back. Because he had the authority to do that. Because he had the authority over all things. But before he rose... He went to the cross for you and for me. We're gonna finish with this one last scripture. And I chose this scripture from Romans because guess what? It's a conditional statement. There's a trigger and a response. There's an if and a then. You have to imply the then, but it's there. <laughs> Friends, would you hold the bread? And listen to these words. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let's pause right there for a moment. Instead of mistaken authority, it's rightly placed authority. It's recognizing that Jesus, you are above me. And when I say those words, Jesus is Lord, I'm saying, Jesus, you're above all things. You're above my nation. You're above any organization or, or group that I'm a part of. You're, you're over my friends. You're, you're over my church. God, you're over everything of my life and everything else. And as we read in scripture, not, not only in this world that I can see, but in the next as well. Like everything, Jesus, you are Lord, again, if you confess that, if that becomes the profession of your life, Jesus is Lord, and it goes on and believe it in your heart. 
So it's not just like, I'm going to say the magic words. No, it's like, it's actually like living this, believing it in my heart. It becomes the operating system that I live by. Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that he did not stay dead, but was resurrected. Here's the then, here's the result. You'll be saved. You'll be saved. Salvation is ours. Through the belief in our heart and the confession of our mouth, Jesus is Lord. You have authority over all things. Jesus, I pray, Lord, for myself. I pray for my friends gathered here. I pray for those online. Lord, I ask, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to to assess where is my heart? And what am I living out? Maybe I've said that Jesus is Lord. Maybe I've made that like public confession before, but I've not been living it. It has not been part of that operating system of my life. So Jesus today with holding this representation, this symbol of your broken body in my hand. God, I want to assert again, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. You are over all things. And here's the promise. Because every conditional statement that is, comes from God is a promise. You'll be saved. Salvation comes. Salvation comes to those who not only say it, but who believe it. Jesus is Lord. Would you take, would you eat? And then the same with the cup. <laughs> I love the symbols that Jesus chose of the bread and the wine because they're, because they're to be consumed. They're to be taken in. And you know what? The, the molecular components of these symbols literally will go to every cell in our body, to every place in our lives. These will be absorbed up into us and I think Jesus wanted us to be reminded that wherever you are experiencing brokenness, wherever there's pain, wherever there's sorrow, wherever there's addiction, wherever there's trouble, chaos, hurt, he says, I went to the cross for all of that. It's part of the benefit (laughs) that I, I came to earth to bring you. And so today, would you drink of this gift and let it come into all of you, knowing wherever that place of hurt and brokenness is, this was given for you to minister to your place of need. Would you take and would you drink? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna invite our ministry team to come on up and just join, join me right up here. We, we have a practice here at the Santa Maria Foursquare Church and 
That is, we, we never conclude any of our gatherings without the opportunity to receive personal ministry. We've been ministering through song. We've been ministering through the word, right? We've talked about these three critical errors, things that could go wrong and just break our faith to pieces and stop it from working. But friends, I'm telling you, you, you may have a critical error of another nature. You may have something going on in your story and it's like, man, I don't want to leave here today before I can just share with someone, talk to them, and, and, and just receive prayer, receive some encouragement. So some of my friends are joining me up here. Please don't leave. And Dana's out in the courtyard. And even if you're watching online and say, man, I, I would like to pray with somebody, guess what? We will pray with you. We will pray for you. Just go over to our website, sm4.org. You're going to find our contact page. We'd love to hear from you so that we can be praying along with you as well. Friends, it has been really good to be with you. Um, and there's things that are brewing in my heart. They're going to come out in the weeks to come. I can't wait to, to share those with you. Continue to pray. Continue to make sure the operating system is on track. Get rid of those critical errors. Amen? Amen. Have a great week, friends. I love you.